This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at everything that Chip's got going on on The Sinker Guy Garage. Need sinkers? His name, he's got you covered. Sputniks, all day. And if you need something special, reach out. He might be able to hook you up. Rigs, oh, yeah, he's got rigs. Floats, support equipment, hooks. It's a one-stop shop. You can get in there, get everything you need. Go over to thesinkerguy.com, get your order in today. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're doing well wherever you are and life is just treating you good this winter. It is a little bit chilly here in Northwest Florida. It is not that bad. I'd love to complain, but yeah, I'm wearing the hoodie. Um, Occasionally, I'm wearing the flannel, sometimes even the jacket. You know, in Florida, if it gets below 50, we start panicking, right? That's what everybody says. This week, we're taking the digital bus just a little west, and we're doing our very first episode out of the great state of Louisiana. This is something that numerous people have brought up like, hey, dude, talk to me about Louisiana. And I'm like, I don't know anybody that surfishes in Louisiana. And while scrolling the old interwebs, I sure enough, I found somebody. So we're going into southwest Louisiana and we're going to be talking with Mr. Benoit Johnson with Dragon Tail Surf Fishing. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you're ready because there is some really cool stuff that's going to be talked about. And if you like red fishing, yeah, this episode's right up your alley. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Benoit. Good to have you, man. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Been looking forward to it all week. Yeah, we've only been like, pan- I've only been panic emailing you. Like, oh, crap, I gotta stay <laughs> on top of this. <laughs> it's been it's been good. So you're in southwest Louisiana. Uh, you do what, south. What, what's the area? I'm not going to try to even say the words uh as far as where i guide yeah yeah that uh pretty much all the beaches southwest of uh lake charles so due south of lake charles rutherford beach and then going uh westward towards texas you have cameron beach holly beach johnson bayou uh primary though is pretty much rutherford beach because it has a uh, high level area where people could drive out on the beach bring campers out bring rvs out so i meet a lot of people there from all over the country yeah, that's so nice. I've I've only been to Louisiana uh, in our RV once. Uh, I unfortunately didn't get to go where I really wanted. We obviously went to New Orleans because you got to do the tourist thing, and it was fun for homeschool. Really wanted to go up into the Northwest, uh, actually a little west of that, and go see the Tabasco factory. And oh, then yeah, I found out, you, yep. And I found out you guys have, and I think it's Northwest Louisiana, uh, a giant tributary garden like hanging gardens some something just my wife was like we should go see the gardens i was like yeah we should go to texas uh, so <laughs> out on that but you guys have so many cool things out there in, in louisiana to do it's there's a lot of tourism fun to have there yeah i would definitely recommend if you get a chance to go to avery island go to the tabasco plant and there if your wife likes gardens is just a, a beautiful wisteria a massive oak tree garden there on Avery Island. It's beautiful. You can actually drive through and walk through. But yeah, the Tabasco factory there, you can get jalapeno Tabasco ice cream. Oh, yeah. Sold. I light you up and pull you (laughs) off at the same time. (laughs) It's such a fun texture doing that hot sauce on ice cream. That sounds fun. Mm. That's a good time. 
There we go. All right. So let's back it up to the very beginning for you here. Tell us your story and what got you into fishing. Well, I was lucky enough to grow up with a uh, outdoor family. My mom and dad had no problems going out. Our family reunions were usually in the woods doing squirrel hunts. So uh, my dad was always on the water doing something. Started out with the uh, gateway drug, chasing bluegill, and then just uh, went up from there to bass. And then, man, I, I was all about the bass fishing through my teenage years. Uh, joined Bass Angler Sportsman Society. Hell, I still remember my number. And uh, really got into the tournament fishing. And uh, trying to do that while being active duty in the Coast Guard kind of killed off that tournament fishing. But while in the Coast Guard, I was able to fish all over the the country, really, from Alaska to East Coast, West Coast, Gulf Coast, uh, inland waterways. So it was it was a great career. Got to wet a lot of lines. So I, I mean, I, I was a Marine Corps recruiter, so I don't uh, I don't get this fun one to say. Though I was able to say, "Hey, we're always by water." You guys, if you're a sportsman and you're looking to join in the military, the Coast Guard, if you're going to see some places and you are going to do some fishing. Yeah, y'all have some cool mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, try to go to Alaska, guys. If you want to join the Coast Guard, we're always looking for folks wanting to go up to Alaska. Salmon, halibut, uh, multiple species of trout, fresh saltwater. It's all it's all up there. You serve your country and uh, get your drag stretched. There you go, Coast Guard. Hey, we'll we'll take the phone calls now. You're welcome. We just helped you out a little <laughs> more, even though you guys don't need it. There, man, the Coast Guard recruiter. I almost never saw that dude, and when I did, it was very limited. He's like, "What's up, bro?" Oh my. Yeah, God. exactly. Nice. They're not exactly chasing people down. <laughs> No, no, his mission was always covered. Uh, so you started out, all, I mean, you started out on the young side with the family, got into the drug, loving it, and mm-hmm. you've done more throughout that. Now, where you're at, what is your favorite thing about fishing? Oh, man, you that list can be long, but I honestly believe my favorite part about fishing in general is the uh, the pre planning. I'm the type of guy that will uh, chase that rabbit way down the hole. If you give me a species of fish I haven't caught yet, I'm going to spend hours and hours researching it, you know, rods, reels, line, tackle. I'm not the type of guy that's just going to go to Walmart and buy some stuff and hope I catch one. And uh, I love putting that together, that challenge, doing the research, getting the right gear, going out there, at least thinking I know what I'm doing, (laughs) and then catching the fish. And that's just like, man plan executed goal achieved i did it now what's the next fish what's the next species nice very cool all right this one so this is going to make it harder for you then can you share a memorable surf fishing story including an unexpected catch or challenging fishing situation that uh makes you laugh when you think about it it it, it's kind of disappointing honestly i was thinking about that question and uh it would have to be my personal best red drum uh 45 inches but we were shark fishing so heavy gear, a big chunk of stingray, 350, 400 yards out. It eats it, starts taking drag. Uh, we start fighting it in. I, I fight it in. I reel it all the way into the beach. And it's like, it's a redfish. It's not even a small shark. It's not even a bull shark. It's a redfish. But it ended up being my personal best at 45 inches. So <laughs> it was kind of bittersweet. <laughs> I didn't get to fight it in on 40-pound uh, line and, you know, light tackle rod and reel. Yeah, just come here. <laughs> Yeah, come oh, on man. in, crank, crank, crank. <laughs> That's a big red too. She that that had a big belly and that had some length. Though. That, yeah, it had some length. That was down in uh, Freeport, Texas. They always say things are bigger in Texas. Damn y'all with your big ass. They they do have some monster catches though. I'll give them yeah. that. 
Yeah, the land-based shark fishing is getting really popular down there, Texas coast, Freeport, Corpus Christi, that area, all the way down to Padre Island. Yeah, yeah, the not too long. What I did the one down there, uh, talking about Padre, and I realized, you know, I've heard a lot about it, but I didn't realize how great a fishery it was and how many abundant species just call that place home it's just like okay well i guess guess we need to go to texas and check it out so thanks for confirming that one (laughs) (laughs) all right let's move into the knowledge piece here um because we've got a very cool program to talk about uh towards the end of it and i definitely don't want to miss out on that so for you personally not talking about your guiding thing here what about you for you how do you plan your fishing trips very first thing i do i get on a fishingreminder.com and that is a great little app they have a really good tide chart a really good like a fishing phase wheel that shows you how good of a day it is when the tides are going to be when the moon phase is going to be best when the uh, major and minor fish feeding times are and uh not a i'm not a paid promotion with them that's just the app that's the first app i go to when i'm planning a trip because then I know what to recommend to a customer who may be booking a trip and say, hey, you know, I know you wanted to show up in the morning, but if you can do an evening trip, that's time, you know, that would be better. So that's where I start. And, of course, weather.com. Yeah. You can't go wrong there. That's smart, though. I mean, you were one of the first guides that has really brought that point up. Uh, a couple of them glassed over it with the, look, we can go in the morning if that's the only time you have available. But if you want to be really successful – this is telling me come here. Uh, so that, that says a lot right there. That's all about your planning. Yeah. If I kind of shoot myself on the foot and it's the same when it goes to seasonal, you know, everyone wants to go to the beach in the summertime. And then that's where I get calls and they're like, yeah, I want you, you know, book you in the summer. What? I'm like, all right, cool. What do you want to catch? And I'm like, I want to catch a, a bunch of them big bull reds. I was like, it can happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but if you really want to maximize your chances to catch 20 to 30, bull red drum in a matter of four to six hours then you need to come in the winter time and they're like what you know winter the beach you know cold damp that's when they're there man that that's that's when to come so i may lose some business doing that but i'd rather have less successful or i should say i'd really have less trips but more of them be successful trips that's something that I think a lot of people that when they come down for the, the spring, you know, the tourist season, they don't realize that the winter fishery brings a whole different bite and, and it's a it significant does. bite. Yeah. Well, all right. So we nailed that one. Oh, gosh, I'm already ready to jump ahead like six spots here. I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> so you've already planned your trip. How do you select the spot to fish? And man, uh, that was probably the biggest learning curve, especially uh, down here in South Louisiana. We don't have, easily definable breaks in the surf we don't get like really strong riptides that create a cut in a hump that's really easy to see in fact we may only get a couple inches of contour change between the first trough and the hump and then the second trough further out it it may be only a few inches in a water depth difference so being able to find that on the beach and then being able to find where there's a uh, a cut in the hump the connecting the first trough and second trough. That's how I pick my spots. I'll drive the beach looking for that, or I'll even go down there a day or two before I have a trip when there's a really good low tide and I'll go down and I'll find, cause you know, the sand, the beach is always changing. Those humps are and the gullies are always filling in and those cuts shift. So I'll go down there and find the good spots and drop a pin 
That way I know where to start when I come back with a client. I'm not wasting a bunch of time. And we only have one tie today. So it's like you, you if you get that low, it's going to be a good one. And hopefully it's a, enough of a tidal movement because we don't have that, you know, 50 feet of water that other places do. And we're like, you know, that would have been really nice if I could have seen 100 more yards. But right. that's a heck of an advantage. And so the, the minute thing, correct me if I'm wrong here. So you're looking at basically you're watching waves move. You're watching how the current flows. You, you're really honing in on spots to find that small change. Is that about right? Right. And I'll even walk out, you know, I'll walk out to the first hump and then walk lengthwise east to west up and down the hump, hoping I walk into a cut that I couldn't see. Cause if it's, if it's high tide, you know, I may be in neat deep water and uh, there may not be any waves breaking on top, but I mean, that's key to surf fishing. If you're not dropping your baits where the fish are traveling, then you're not going to catch or you're going to catch a bunch of trash and then you're going to get discouraged. And yeah. So yeah, finding those uh, cuts in the hump, finding the deep holes in the troughs, that's the first part. So you've already nailed the next part. So we're going to elaborate smidge on this one. So let's talk about the hump and let's talk about the cut. So with the hump being obviously out in front of us here, this is where I think a lot of anglers make a mistake. They throw in front of it and then they're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to wait here. And then they're like, oh, I didn't hit. Then they go to the back of it and then they're like, oh, okay, well, nothing's happening here. So many of them don't hit on it or 15 yards past it. It's like right. they look for that hump and only the hump. It's like you got to move it around. Yep, I agree. I honestly, I don't fish the top of the hump very much here because normally it's only a couple inches underwater. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and like I said, we don't have a very defined hump. So it's the deeper water that the larger fish are traveling with. And it's normally, if you're in, if you're going to fish the first cut off of the Louisiana beaches, that deeper water is normally right in front of the hump itself. And then you come up to shallow, and then it's a long, gradual taper as you walk further out. But honestly, I catch 90% of these bull reds in front of the first hump, maybe 30 to 40 yards from the dry sand. And that's what I see the largest uh, mistake people make down here. They come down here, and they get their surf rods, and they wade out past the first hump like they're trying to get to the second hump now they're chest deep and they're holding the rod up over their head and trying to make the longest cast they can make <laughs> and then they walk it all the way back and and meanwhile i'm fishing 30 40 yards from where i'm sitting you know on the, the edge of the beach and i'm pulling in redfish after redfish and normally that's i get a lot of business that way <laughs> that's when they <laughs> walk over and ask me what i'm doing and i'm i don't hide anything i'm very open because it was people who are willing to uh, share with me that got me started. So I do the same. I think that's attributed to a lot of us in the social media game, especially those before us. Uh, you know, it, there's something to be said about, all right, I'm throwing it out there. And you look in the camera and the bar looks 200 yards away. It looks like it's forever. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it's 50. I mean, most of us are looking for the closer bar. We're not looking to cast it to the moon because that's a lot of work. That's a lot of strength. Not to mention, that's a long ass fight. Well, the further out it is, you have to fight that thing all the way back, keeping it pinned. Yeah, and, and then if we get ahead. a really low tide, especially in the winter time or when it's prime time, we'll get that northwest northwest wind or north wind, and it'll push the water out even further. So that first hump will be completely exposed. So then you're walking through the first cut over the first hump. Then you have reason to walk out further. You know, walk out waist deep and cast and try to land your bait in front of the second hump. And then you have to walk it all the way back to shore. So 
And then when you're fighting a fish in, like I'll have a client, they'll be on the beach fighting the fish in. I'll be standing out there on the first hump with the grippers, kind of letting the line go through my fingers, you know, waiting for that fish to get to the hump so I can clip onto them and drag them all the way back to the beach. So there is a time to walk far, but honestly, uh, yeah, most of the time they're in close. So there you go, everybody. We've talked about it before. Stop ignoring the first 50 yards. <laughs> we can't say it enough. <laughs> uh, that was my long way of getting to that point. Okay, so we've talked about the spot there when different pieces here were throwing it in. Now let's talk about the rigs. You now with you, you fish more than one species, right? You, you're, I mean, reds are your happy, but you definitely go after several different species. Yep, reds and then the smaller sharks are primary. Uh, I haven't yet jumped into the expensive side of land-based shark fishing with drones and all that. And uh, based on my research, a drone is pretty much a necessity if you're going to really do land-based shark fishing right. You get, that's the only way in southwest Louisiana you're going to get a bait 500 yards out, you know, or three to 500 yards out with a, is with a drone into that deeper water. But yeah, primarily redfish. I do catch black drum as well. Uh, we catch alligator gar in the surf. Yes, there are alligator gar fish in the surf. Ooh, I caught, that's uh, a fun one. Yeah, it's a surprise too. Uh, and uh, yeah, the smaller black drum. I'm um, sorry, not black drum. Um, black tips, sharks, bull sharks, black tips, spinner sharks. They're all fairly up close within 100, 150 yards. As far as the gear to catch those, uh, I'm using the same rods that I'm hunting the bull red drum. 40 pound braid, uh, fish finder leader. I do have a absolutely awesome sinker that I love to use ever since red fin fishing turned me on to it. It's called the tail lift sinker. <clears throat> it's got them in long shank and short shank. But the coolest thing about that sinker is when you start reeling, that planer on the front of the sinker catches water and lifts up and that keeps your hook from dragging across that hump. Cause like I said, that hump is pretty shallow. And you want to get your hook across it without dragging the point through the sand and the shell and getting it dull because then you're going to have to cut your leader, crimp on a new hook. Because that's one of the most important parts. I feel, in my personal opinion, the most important part of all the gear is the hook. That's your connection point to the fish. And if it's dull, you know, I mean, these redfish aren't completely dumb. If they feel the hook, they're going to try to spit it. If it's dull, it's likely to slide out past anything that, that it could have hooked on, that a sharp hook would have would have hung up on and hooked up the fish. Jason's a good dude with red. Yeah. I, Jason's just, he's just good people. But yeah, I mean, I, I've done a couple of lives and Justin from Justin Reed fishing. Uh, he's the one that really made me realize that I was fishing with dull hooks. He was like, dude, take it on your thumb and run it across your nail. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, what do you feel? It's like, I don't know. It's kind of smooth. He goes, yeah, you ain't hooking nothing with it, bud. You, you right. need to do something. Yeah, I started out a, a trip one time with a brand new lead. All my, anytime I've taken a client out, it's brand new leaders, brand new hooks to start the day. And we were slaying fish. And about halfway through, we started losing fish. And I'm like, man, that's, that's kind of odd. I don't normally lose fish, you know, this often. We lost like three or four in a row. They just came a button. So like you said, I took a closer look at my hooks. And sure enough, those points were shiny and dull from being drugged in and out through the shell from catching so many fish and then being unhooked in the surf and then drug up the beach to the shell. And uh, as soon as I changed the hooks out, we started hooking up on fish again and getting them all the way in. So I've, I've actually started, um, I no longer crimp my hooks to the end of the leader. I add a, a swivel from uh, Dr. Fish. It's a, 
I wish I could have had them with me. I'll show you. But it's a different kind of swivel. It's easier to get a large hook on with a thick eye, like a like an eight-aught hook. It'll clip on. I've never had one stretch out. And that makes it a lot easier to change your hooks out. Keep sharp hooks on at all time. That's really smart. I've never heard of anybody doing that. That's kind of a cool technique. And I've definitely, I never thought of what you're talking about there when you're reeling in that your hook going through the sand like that, you're, yeah. you're dulling it down. You're going, it's hitting, it's doing something. That tip's going to get caught. Yeah. And using a big eight on like I like to use, and it's not a circle hook. I use this either like a uh, offset J hook and those tend sometimes they'll catch in the mud and the, or the soft sand and they'll bury, they'll dig in. And then ain't no pulling from the beach going to get it up. You end up walking halfway out, pulling on it before it finally comes up. So that's another reason I like using those uh, tail lift sinkers to keep that hook up and away from the, the soft sand on the bottom. That's smart. Real well done. Definitely. That way to go with that. And then, hey, experience shows you the way, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about those ones. What are some effective bait and lure choices for surf fishing that you like? And how do those different types of bait and lures uh bring specific species to you well unless i'm targeting sharks specifically which is it pretty much always stingray just because it lasts so long and stays on so good um i primarily use mullet i don't fish any lures uh i am working on something we'll get to that in the end of the, the podcast but i'm primarily a bait fisherman and uh that's always fresh mullet if i can get it i catch it myself i freeze it myself i don't like having to use the stuff from the gas station because uh yeah it's, it's just a no-go if, if you really want consistency and hooking up on these fish and you want them to eat it and hold it to get the hook in fresh mullet's the way to go so i use cut bait uh the biggest mullet i could get the better i mean i've had bait on there the size of a baseball and the primary reason for that is it keeps all the little trash fish off the hook so big hook big bait you're not wasting time um changing out bait all the time because it's getting ripped up or torn up by these little fish and these little hardhead and the cell cats yeah especially in the summertime that's even more important in the summertime because when the water warms up all that all the little trash fish move back in and uh that's probably the hardest part of being a guide down here is um in the summertime i'm changing bait on four rods <clears throat> at least every 30 minutes if it's still there it's coming off a fresh piece is going on because everything else out there is picking on it and nipping at it <clears throat> and i want a nice fresh piece of bait out there that's yes bait changes are very important and uh it's kind of funny you bring it up because it's actually the right time for our bait check because i always do mine around that 20 20 to 25 minutes i'm checking my bait so Let's go ahead and knock out the first one of the episode. This bait check is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. You guys know I absolutely love Ninja Tackle. I love all the rods and all the gear that I ever get from there. It's always phenomenal and top notch. Now, right here, you got to talk about it. The old little bummy. That's right. Bama Beach Bums Littler Rod. The little bummy is a nine foot six rod hearing a lot of great things about this it's been doing really well on the surf and a couple other instant or other places you can use it if you go over to the website ninjatackleva.com as you can see plenty of great things on the website the ninja dagger ninja dagger series the beach bum uh the bummy stick the 12 foot which you guys know i love my 12 foot i love my 12 foot the nine footer is phenomenal there's really nothing bad but if you need rigs he's got you covered he got you with es lures and other hand tied rigs hooks other gear 
he's got it all through here. As you can see, 15 pages worth of stuff, sand spikes and bait, all good things all the way through. If you're into the firearm and tactical side, oh, he's got you covered there. Ninja Tactical, lots of good pieces of gear in here. As you scroll through, you're going to find something you need. I know it. Always good stuff. NinjaTackleVA.com. That's the website. Go on over. Get your order in today. Hopefully you caught a bunch of fish by now, people. Seriously. I mean, we've only been talking for 20, and you're already probably limited out because that's just how good you are from listening to this show. So we've talked into that one with bait and lures. Now, what are some essential gears and tactical needs for successful surf fishing trips, and how can anglers choose the right equipment for those needs? As far as choosing the right equipment, talk to the locals. If you're out there on the beach and you, you're doing your proper research, get on Facebook, ask questions from people who fish that area. Uh, look up guides who fish that area. Ask them what gear uh, that they depend on. Ask them what rigs they're using because their livelihood depends on having the right gear and then finding the fish and fishing the right places. So just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, if any of you guys are down here in southwest Louisiana and you see this flag flying on the beach, please walk up to me ask questions there's nothing i'm not going to tell you or shoot me a comment here in the in the whole social medias you know drop me a line on messenger uh very open uh as far as essential gear uh southwest louisiana bring bug spray i don't care what time of year it is bug spray and sunscreen you're probably going to need it uh, not so much at the water's edge but you start getting a little further back on the beach close to the marsh grass and uh, you're going to want some off, especially if you're camping out there on the beach. Uh, dress appropriately. Summertime, wintertime, dress for it. Um, even some of the late summers, we could get a good cold front come through. And when you're out there on the beach and there's a west wind blowing and you're already a little wet, you know, it doesn't have to be negative 30. It could be 50 degrees. And if you're in shorts and a T-shirt, you're going to feel it. So at least bring a hoodie with you anytime you go to the beach. And if it's summertime... Uh, go to Holler Fish on Tackle Shop on Facebook and order you some nice moisture wicking 30 plus SPF uh, shirts. Uh, what Efren Rodriguez on there has a great selection of clothing. I normally don't promote clothing, but I, I wear his and I really enjoy it. It's held, it holds up too. It's not exactly the uh, cheap stuff from Bangladesh. Hey, I'd like to know who, what gear works. Are you kidding me? I mean, how much are fishing clothing or any clothing in that general nowadays? How expensive that stuff is? Somebody oh, tells man. me something works. I'm I'm buying it. Yep. Yeah, it's it's, it's good stuff. So that's a shout out to uh, Holler Fish on Louisiana Tackle Shop, and you can find them on Facebook. Well and done. Then, uh, lastly, on, the, the, the last little bit of gear. Uh, I've recently, well, not recently. I say I started buying my surf fishing reels from a, a company called Dr. Fish. Yes, it's a foreign company. It's not an American made, but I think a lot of you guys might be surprised to find out some of these uh, American brands are not selling American made. It's a big difference. But, what? Uh, yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so uh, that, I use their surf fishing uh, equipment. It doesn't break the bank and their long shot reel that I've been using going on uh, three years now. I have four of them. That's what I got with. And I have yet to have any problems with them. I've never brought them in to have any sort of maintenance work done on them, have them re-greased or cleaned or anything. I just rinse them with fresh water after every use, after every trip to the beach. And they're holding up. And they don't break the bank. You're talking about uh, spinning reels for surf fishing for less than 100 bucks a reel. So 
they're they're really good reels. They've proven themselves to me. I don't care where they're made, they hold up. Oh, and if you want fifteen percent off of uh, those said reels, well, yeah, let me is. know. <laughs> I have a fifteen percent off code that you can only get through me. It's uh, it's called Doctor Fish. So Dr. Fish plus DTSF for Dragon Tail Surf Fishing. All right, it's going in the comments too, people. So when you look this back up on the episode, if you take a look, there will be the discount on there. Again, that was DTSF. So there you go. Nice hookup, and we'll appreciate that. Yep. Um, and we talked pre-show. Uh, you can spend thousands of dollars on your gear, sure. Uh, you can keep up with the Joneses, no problem. But when the gear works, doesn't matter what the name is. Yeah, and I did, like I said, I researched, I researched like crazy. And while doing that research, I looked up surf fishing reels. And uh, one of the YouTubers I watched, he did a comparison on multiple uh, saltwater rated reels or sealed reels that he's used over the years. And he compared non-seals to partially sealed reels to certified, you know, sealed reels. All of them failed over, over time. All of them fail. Eventually they fail from multiple thousand dollar reels down to less than hundred dollar reels. They fail. So what would you rather do? Would you rather spend 50, 60 bucks, use it for two or three years and it fail. And then you just go spend another 50, 60 bucks or spend a couple grand and then use it for a few years and it fail. And then you have to send it in for warranty work, wait for it to come back or Lord forbid, you know, maybe they don't accept it the warranty claim and now you're out a couple grand so i'm perfectly happy using my cheap gear i've never had a customer while fighting in a redfish look at the reel and say oh this is one of those cheap reels i'm going home no <laughs> i've landed hundreds of bull reds on these reels they hold up oh the comment section's gonna be so much fun no how dare you <laughs> no real life experience people there you go yep. how, how you like it oh Okay, um, so how do you adjust tactics for fishing when the bite just isn't on fire? It's not there. Right, and, and that can be just mid-trip as well. You could go from catching like crazy, and then suddenly an hour goes by and you haven't got a bite. You've got to be able to, to change your setups quickly. Um, I typically start out close. If the first hump is underwater, I don't care if it's just an inch or two of water, that's enough water in front of the hump for me. It's probably knee deep to waist deep in front of the hump. That's where I'm putting baits. I'm still going to put two in front of the hump and I'll put two in the back of the hump out about 50 yards behind the hump. If we're catching great, if it changes, you'll know because uh, suddenly your front two hooks aren't catching anything and your back two rods are going off all the time. So that lets me know, okay, due to the tide change or wind change, or maybe the bait that was traveling in close is now moving back. I need to take those front two setups and move them further back. So doing that, uh, as far as changing the bait goes, uh, change it often. In the summertime, change it often every 30 minutes. Whether it's still there or not, I'll change it. In the wintertime, not so much. Wintertime, I'll keep the same bait on for hours at a time because nothing's really messing with it until the red comes by and picks it up. Great segue into this. So let's talk, let's talk the seasons down there in southwest Louisiana. Tell us about them, and what are some unique challenges that you run into with different types of seasons? Okay, well, we'll start with summer. Summer is the most challenging down here to fish with, just because the water's warmer, and there's 
lots of species swimming in the surf. Most of them are small. Most of them are going to tear your bait off the hook. Um, if you don't like catching hardhead catfish or gaff top catfish, then stop using tiny little bait. Use a big chunk of bait and a big hook, and you'll cut down on the number of those that you catch. Um, challenges for summer fishing, other than the, all the little uh, fish to work through, is the heat. It gets hot in South Louisiana on the Gulf Coast. Um, also, normally when it gets hot, though, the breeze will die, and you could see every ripple on the surface out there. So it's really easy to follow bait, and see top water strikes. So that can be a plus. You just have to deal with the heat, wear sunscreen, wear a big straw hat, uh, wear a long sleeve, lightweight shirt, keep the sun off. In fact, I, I even wear the, uh, my, my mother-in-law calls them pajama pants, but they're my fishing pants. They're thin, lightweight, they moisture wicking, let a breeze through. Uh, that's probably the biggest challenge in the summer is just the heat down here and the humidity. Uh, let's move into fall. Fall's when it turns up. Not a whole lot of challenges there. Maybe the sore arms from catching, you know, 30, 40 fish in a trip. Uh, fall things are on fire. August, October, November, into December. Y'all may call that winter by uh, December. We're still in fall down here in December. Sometimes we revert back to summer in December. Yep. <laughs> but yes. the water generally cools off and the, the fishing is on fire. Uh, switching into spring, it can slow down a little bit in the spring. Usually uh, February to early March is kind of a slow month. When I say slow month, I'm, I'm still catching bull reds out there in the surf. The bull reds, and that's the thing uh, about fishing down here off the beach, they're always there. The bull reds are always in the surf down here in southwest Louisiana. They're there year-round, along with your black drum and your shark and your other species. They're just, you you catch more of them in the fall because that's when the spawn is and going into the winter. And then you hook up with more of them because all the little fish and tearing the bait off your hook. And, you know, you're not wasting a lot of time trying to wade through the baby sharks and the, the cell cats and getting fresh bait on, getting it back out there. I mean... And a lot of people don't realize this, being a guide, if, if you're, if you're going to do this and you're setting out four to five to six rods for your customer and you're changing bait every 30 minutes, and if it's low tide, you're walking out through the water, over the hump, waist deep out again against the waves, against the wind, casting it out, walking it back, and you're doing that every 30 minutes. So by the time you set out four rods like that, and then uh, you get to sit down and take a breather for about 15 minutes, <laughs> you're going back to the first rod and you're doing it again. But if you want to catch the fish, you've got to keep the fresh bait on. So uh, yeah, that that's about it for the challenges. We don't have a whole lot of uh, hurt. Well, we have hurricanes. That could definitely be a challenge to your travel yeah. plan. If you're trying to book a trip yeah. down here, be mindful of that in the summertime going into the fall season. If there's a storm coming in, you probably don't want to book a trip. But I would, I'll definitely let you know if, if we're in contact. We got lucky this last year, though. We got so lucky with the El Nino push from that wind going from uh, west to east. And it was like, oh, it's coming. No, it's not. No, it's good. No, it's not. We, we uh, yeah, Louisiana, you guys, you guys get the the brunt of it more than we do here in the panhandle. But, you know, as soon as any of us, you know, our whole Gulf area, as soon as we see something past Cuba and start that little uh, north northern turn, we all start going, where are you going? You going to mm -hmm. Texas? You coming to us? What's it going to be? And it's real weather. Yeah, especially last year. We're like, oh, please, not another one, Lord. Please. <laughs> We've had <laughs> Katrina, Rita. We've had Gustav and Ike. And then we had Laura and Delta hit in the same year. And, uh, I mean, we lost every 
structure on our property, home included, with Laura and Delta. But we rebuild yeah. and uh, we pay the higher insurance rates and we enjoy being in sportsman's paradise. So there's pros and cons to everywhere. And you bring that up and we're going to talk about that because that's actually a good segue. But that is one thing about Louisiana is it's more than fishing. You've got birds. you got good hunting. You mean gator if you're into that. You, the backwater. You can go airboat. You can go into the marshes. You've got a lot of great things throughout that state to be able to play with. Right, and especially down here in southwest Louisiana. You can you fly into Lake Charles. Uh, there's a ton of stuff to do here in the southwest area. Like you said, bird watching is real big down here. We have lots of nature trails. The fishing, whether you want to do it from a beach or whether you want to go offshore or whether you want to book a inshore charter. I mean, there's not a charter boat down here that I wouldn't uh, recommend. I mean, every one of them you get on and catch fish. They do it day in and day out, limits of redfish, limits of speckled trout. We have a really great fishery down here. And, and that's mostly due to the conservation efforts down here from CCA, Tag Louisiana, and other great conservation uh, organizations. Yeah, CCA has definitely been doing a lot of really good things. And they're on my list to eventually answer my call because, you know, answer the call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that you brought that up, let's talk about the really cool program. Let's talk about Louisiana's tag program. And before I get into that, when we first started talking, uh, I think it was December. It might have been December. We started talking and then you were talking about, oh, hey, man, I'm, I'm in the middle of this. I'm actually on the hunt for 100 redfish to tag. And I was like, you're going to catch 100 reds in a month? I was like, I'm looking at this message like, nah, he must mean the year. There's no, no, you meant it. You meant a month. You weren't kidding. And you did it. Yep, we sure you, did. You caught a hundred reds to tag for a month. That is huge. Congratulations, first and foremost, for that. That Thank is you. ridiculous. Yeah, and, and that was, that was actually, I'd planned on going down there and spending the night and coming back the next day, being done. Because normally, I mean, we catch, like I said, anywhere from four to 40 redfish in a day. You know, we're talking bull reds, nothing under 35 inches. I've yet to catch anything under 35 inches off the beach. I ended up spending five days <laughs> down there, took it to the, <laughs> took it to the wire. Uh, but I was determined and it was, it was terrible. We had bad mosquitoes. We had uh, a front move through, we're talking, you know, 15, 20, 25 mile an hour winds were blowing. I was like huddled behind the, the, the back end of the truck to get out of the wind, but stuck with it and got it done. Yeah, I landed number 100 on that uh, day five. The goal was to hit 100 redfish in less than 50 days, and we did it. We tagged and released 100 redfish in less than 50 days. Dude, so good. Yeah, that, so doesn't, good. that doesn't include what we caught in August and October and then earlier in the year through the summer and into the spring. I'm not even counting those. I mean, we've caught hundreds of fish this year to – that last hundred were tagged and released. We're done in less than 50 days. Oh, so cool. All right. So tell us about the tag program. All right. So tag Louisiana. So I found out about them when I joined the CCA, I figured if I'm going to do this as, as a guide and be professional, I've always supported conservation in general, but never really took the leap to actually get involved, get hands on actually going out and doing something to benefit the fishery that I'm enjoying. And then I'm, you know, trying to make a living with. So I saw the uh, Tag Louisiana post in, at a CCA meeting, and I looked into it, and I was like, oh, it's free to join? 
you know, they send you the tagging tool for free. They send you the tags. You download an app on your phone and you go out there and you fish. And when you catch a fish, it's as simple as clicking the tag that you're going to use, inserting it into the fish, taking a photo of the fish, and then it records your GPS location where you caught the fish, the tag number of the fish, the length of the fish, and that you let it go. Well, if that fish gets recaptured by another angler, he could call the phone number on that tag and the state will send that angler a gift for reporting it. So it's considered a recapture. So, I mean, it, it benefits everyone, even if they're not a member of TAG, because you can catch fish and get a gift and who doesn't want that. But then the state can collect all that information and it helps them determine the migratory uh, patterns of these fish and how the population is doing by how many fish are being tagged compared to how many fish are being uh, released. And I just saw a recapture the other day. Tag Louisiana shared it, and I'm pretty sure I shared it on my Facebook page. But this redfish was caught up in uh, Lake Pontchartrain, Louisiana, which is a big inland lake north of New Orleans. And it was tagged there and then caught later after it had grown 30 inches. Uh, multiple years later, it was captured again west of the Mississippi River. So that fish then left the inland waters, went out around the boot, came back to the coast and was way up inland in some inland marsh where it was recaptured by an angler. So to be able to, to catch that information, it's, it's just, uh, it's really an amazing thing. But, I'm, and like I mentioned, everyone can participate in this. It's free for Louisiana residents, but if you're a Gulf coast angler, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, the Florida panhandle, you can join the tag uh, program and all they ask from you non-residents is to send a little money, make a donation, help cover the shipping for the tags and the tool, and uh, you, you could help out. I'm so glad you brought up that picture because I saw it, and I was like, hold on. It was here, and it went here. It, it, it was so cool to see. It was like, that's a lot of water, and the size growth, the differential between the catch day to the second catch, how much – all of that stuff. I was like, do I bring that graphic up and put it on the podcast? Like, I, I'm so glad you just brought it up because that was really impressive. And CCA has been very, very vocal about trying to do good things. You know, like, look, be good sportsmen, do this for the community. You know, they're really about the conservation and the sport and the people. You know, it's not a you know, cloak and dagger, if you will. It's they're really trying to do stuff here. And that was the one example that I was like, OK, you guys have my attention. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for uh, our state representatives and our higher ranking members of the CCA. They've done a lot, especially uh, this year. We've had a, a big change, something us anglers and coastal residents have been trying to get past for years. And that is a, a one mile to three mile no fishing boundary for commercial fishing. So we have these pokey boats that come in and catch pokey near shore. Uh, Pogie is a little bait fish for y'all who don't know. They're used for protein. And these big companies send these big ships down here and they net up millions of these pogies. Well, they also net up hundreds of redfish. And they do this during the redfish spawn while they're in shallow water trying to spawn within a quarter mile of the beach. So we've had just last year since October, like 18 big fish kills where these massive nets of fish bust open and all the fish inside that are getting compressed from the weight, they're dead. They get killed and they wash up on the beach. And meanwhile, the state is wanting to change the, uh, the amount of fish that anglers can keep. And they're wanting to drop the limit. And now they're saying uh, you may not be able to keep 
any bull redfish, any redfish over 24 inches, it's going to go down from 27 to 24 inches. And, you know, I'm sorry, I hate, hate to say it, but I don't care if we have 500 anglers out there and every one of us catches two fish over our limit. That is nothing in comparison to the damage that these big harvesting boats were doing offshore. So the state passed a notice of intent to enforce a one mile boundary zone uh, from the entire coast of Louisiana and a three mile special boundary off of Rutherford Beach and Holly Beach where I got. So I am so happy and we could not have done that without the efforts of the CCA. So if you guys in Louisiana, if you're listening to this, don't complain when the limits change. Do something to make a difference. Make your voices heard and join the TAG uh, Louisiana program and, you know, tag some fish. Let them go. You're out there catching them anyway. Why not throw a tag in them, take a quick picture so the state can benefit from your efforts and uh, we can regrow our redfish population. Even bigger, as amazing as it is, we can make it better. So I'm going to say something unpopular because I agree with you. I think it's no problem to drop it down because what happens? These big ass fish are super breeders. They carry a lot of eggs. What is the worst thing that happens? We get in a couple extra thousand fish. Oh no, you didn't get one less for the year. You can go back out tomorrow. You can go get more. It's okay. Uh, the flounder population. I, I was very happy when I heard them change a lot of stuff up here in our area. People weren't, but I was because quite frankly, I want my grandkids to be able to catch these. I want this other one. We're doing good things. And, Conservation is not a bad thing. It's really not. One less is not going to kill you. The boats, you still, different story. You still keep the little ones. Yes. I mean, you could still keep between, uh, I forget what the small limit is because I don't, I don't catch anything that small. <laughs> I don't catch little fish. <laughs> I don't catch anything under 27 <laughs> inches. Uh, I think it's 15 to 27 inches is, is the uh, redfish you're allowed to keep. And I think currently it's five with one, one of those five being over 27 inches. But they're, like I said, they're wanting to knock that down until we can get the breeding population back. So we're going to push out the commercial fisheries further offshore so that these adult redfish can spawn. Anglers can help out by throwing them big ones back. And honestly, come on, guys, you know that them little ones taste better. They do. They taste better. They don't have as red meat, as much red meat in them. And uh, they're a lot easier to clean because you're not fighting the big scales and the big bones. So keep your limit of little ones. Take pictures with the big ones. If you absolutely have to have one on the wall, they have these things called replicas now where you could send in that picture and a measurement and have a replica made. Hell, it costs less now than having them mounted. So let's go that route, at least for a couple of years. And if we can regrow the population, I guarantee you the, the state has no problem saying, okay, you can start keeping one or two of the, the big breeders again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you made me think there's another oh i really wish i could remember it i'm gonna have to look it back up and tag him but there was a guy that was actually if you took the fish um he'll send you the paper and you lay the fish down on the paper to get an impression and you just send it off to him he'll take the rest of it he'll do all the artwork for you so you get the full length of the fish with the scales on even the slime it's okay you just do a quick press down you can do both sides send it off and then take the picture and he'll take it up and replicate it for you and give it a piece of artwork so that's pretty cool i haven't seen that I gotta find it, dude. It was really cool. I was like, ooh, I could do that with a couple certain ones. Um, and you're lucky. I think I'm almost positive. My limit's one. That's all we get here. Yeah, I get one red. That's it a day. I don't get anything more than one. And it's gotta be oh, really? under 27, I believe. 27 is our max limit. 
and we don't get an over slot in the black drum we do we get we get one over slot but you don't want an over slot black drum in my opinion it's oh no. i i don't mess with black drum <laughs> i love to catch them take a photo of the big uglies and let them go yeah, yeah. bye-bye do your little barky thing and bye yeah thanks uh, for the fight bye-bye <laughs> Well, we've been going at it for 48 minutes now, and we are due. It is time for the next bait check of the episode. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. DSCustomTackle.com is the website. Go on over there and take a look. As you can see, it is jam-packed full of gear. Yeah, if you need some stuff, yeah, I think you covered here. If you need rigs, look at this. There are so many in the shop. You need to get your hands on anything from drums. Look at that. Kings, pomps down here, perch. It's not just Florida. This has got you covered up and down the East Coast and the West Coast. It doesn't matter where it is. You're all set up there. If you're a rig maker and you're looking to get your hands on beads, floats, things of that nature, hey, look at that. Tons of beads right here, and the floats is in another section. There is a bunch. The scullies. Get the scullies. Yeah. DSCustomTackle.com. Go take a look. Get your order in today. Great product, great people, and they're doing great things. I had to pull up fish rules. <laughs> While we were mid-break there, I'm like, let me look at this. Yeah, uh, we are still, bag limit is 118 to 27 inches. That's it. That's all you get, and you got to pinch the tail. Yeah, they're they're wanting to take us from five to three, and from twenty seven inches to twenty four inches, and nothing over the possession or nothing over the length of twenty four inches. You have all the adults have to go back in, and they're also wanting to make it uh, to where if you're a guide on a boat, normally the guide can catch a limit too and contribute that to the customer's limit. Uh, he won't be able to do that anymore. Guides can still fish with the customer, but anything that the guide catches has to go back in the water. It doesn't matter what the size is. Now, if the guide isn't with a client, he's just out fishing on his own, then he can keep his limited fish like normal, but he can't contribute to the customers. Now, no, this is not law yet. This is a notice of intent. So right now it's in the comment stages. So this is your opportunity, gentlemen and uh, gentle ladies to get online, make your voices heard, go to CCA, uh, send them a message and they'll make sure it gets to the proper state representative. Well, another segue that you built for me. It's like you're it's like you know what I'm doing here. <laughs> so speaking of the guides, let's talk about that. What got you into guiding? Uh taking friends fishing, really. I would have uh friends would go down to the beach and they'd fish and they'd come back, say, I don't know why I bother going down there. I'm not catching anything. And I'm like, well, come with me. And we'd go and they'd catch fish. And uh I had a, a buddy of mine I met in the railroad. My full-time job is a salesman for the uh, railroad industry. So I met him. He's landlocked. He's way up in uh, Missouri. And uh, he'd never been surf uh, fishing before. And he sees me catching all these big red drum. He's like, man, I want to I want to catch one of them so bad. I was like, well, come on down. So he said, okay, I'm going to plan a trip. And uh, I was not a guide, but I'd done my research. And he came down and uh, he caught fish. So while we were down here and he's having a great time and I'm telling him, it's like, man, if I could do anything in the world, I would want to be a fishing guide. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, that's like my dream job. It's like, I've caught my share of fish in life. It's great, but nothing feels as good as taking someone else who has it and seeing their face light up when they catch one. So that's what I would do. 
So anyway, we were uh, on our way home from a successful trip. He goes, hey, I got you something. I was like, really? What'd you, what'd you get me? And he's like, he showed me his phone because I told him what I would name my guide business. And he's like, uh, you have a domain now. I was like, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what a domain is. What are you talking about? He's like, no, you're dragontails.com. You have a domain now. That's, that's just, people can look you up at dragontails.com. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Cool. He's like, you don't, if you ever do anything with your dream, you know, if you ever want to become a guide, now at least you have an email. So I was like, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. So I got home. I was all excited. I told my wife. She's like, oh, that's so sweet of him. And I never, I didn't think nothing about it. A couple of days go by. My wife says, hey, I got you something. <laughs> okay. Well, what'd you get me? She said, look, show me your phone. It's a website. She had built me a website, Dragon Tales Surf Fishing. So now I have the domain and the website. And I was like, all right, this, this, they believe in me, obviously. And I know I could catch these fish. So I'm just, I went headlong into it and uh, been doing the guide thing now for uh, over a year. That is like such an awesome story of how it started. Yep, that's how it started, you know. Uh, and I, I'd have to drop this into, I don't know if we're about to get into the social media side of it, but uh, I can contribute a lot, well, basically all my success in surf fishing with uh, the guys on social media because being able to get on YouTube and Facebook and research this stuff and see what they're doing, and uh, that was a, a big contributing factor as well. Oh, we definitely hit the social. We're almost there. We were going right. to fly through this part for that. Um, but yes, you're right. Uh, what about, how about this? What is your favorite part about running a charter? Well, well like we just said, seeing yeah. the customer's faces light up. Um, when, like, for example, I was down there fishing on the beach. Most of my customers come from me being out there fishing on the beach and they see me catching and they're out there with their, their Walmart specials and they're not catching, you know, with their frozen shrimp that they got at the gas station. And they walk over and they ask, what am I, you know, we see you catching these fish. What are you doing? So I show them everything. I show them all my gear. And then I tell them, oh, my God. And they're like, well, we're not going to go buy all this gear. Why don't you just come back tomorrow? And we'll book you for four hours. And then I'll come set. If they're camping, I'll come set up. If they're in a good spot, I'll come set up right in front of their camping area or in front of their RV. And they'll come out and and we catch fish. Dude, oh. but, yeah, see, but seeing their faces light up, that was a. Uh, my first customers this year so far were um, same thing. They, I was actually fighting in a fish and another rod doubled over and I only have two hands. So I was like, I was waving them over. I was like, Hey, Hey, come help, come help. So uh, they come running over and, and pulled the rod out and they're fighting one in and I'm fighting one in and uh, mine ended up getting off, but uh, they landed a 43 inch uh, red fish and that led to them booking a trip the next day. And I came back, set everything up, and they ended up catching five or six in a four-hour trip, what I call a slow day. But at one point, they had a double. Uh, the husband was reeling in his, and the wife is reeling in hers. And he looks over at her, and he goes, this is so worth it. <laughs> totally. just oh, I could have cried. Made my day. Made my year. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that would have made – I, I would have been a full year happy right there. Like, this, this is what it's about. Right yep, exactly. It ain't about the money. So I'm out there fishing anyway. So I might as well make a little bit from it and share the years of knowledge that I've gained down here in Southwest Louisiana. So you brought it in with great, good point with the husband and wife one, because this next part is, I think, where a lot of people don't think about why is hiring a guide so beneficial? It's cheaper. Think a lot of people, that's the first thing they think of when they, that you're hiring a guide. 
and they're thinking, I don't want to spend that money. That's going to cost a ton. Uh, you know, okay, $400. I don't want to spend $400. Cause that, or no, $300. My four-hour trip is only $300. Go to Walmart, buy you two rod and reels, some lines, some leaders, and some bait. You're probably going to spend close to $300, and you're getting some junk. It's probably not going to last you. If you hire a guide, he's providing, or he should be providing all the gear with all the experience on how to use it. He should be rigging everything up, baiting the hooks, taking everything out, making sure it's set in the right spot, bringing it back, putting it in the rod holders, explaining all of this to his customers. You know, because a lot of them, they want to learn. They want to be hands-on. The guide should allow it. Some people, they just like, you you do it. Let me know when there's a fish on, and they'll come reel it in. I'm fine with either one. <laughs> so yeah, yep, that's yep. definitely the, the benefits. A lot of people first thing they think of is cost, but when you break it down, you're really not paying a whole lot. Because I take it personally. If if I go out and bring customers out and don't catch, and uh thank you, Lord, that has never happened so far. And we've always caught, but it would break my heart, really. So I'm going to put forth every bit of knowledge that I have, every ounce of effort. I mean, I will exhaust myself getting getting those baits out there where they need to be to ensure that my customers catch. Because if they don't, man, I'm believe me, I'm more upset <laughs> than they are. <laughs> that makes, uh, yes, that's important because it's all about that one. But you know, the other part, I was the one part you left off and I wanted to make the joke of it. Not on, not on top of that, you bought all that gear. Now you got to haul it home and it's going to sit in your garage or your basement for the rest of your time or it's going to end up in the landfill. And I cannot right. tell yeah. you how many vacationers mm-hmm. I've seen, especially here with our national seashore, how many rods and real combos are just thrown in the dumpster at the end of the trip. Like, I don't need it. They dispose it. You could have oh, saved man. that money and taken a guide. Do we have time for a short, funny story? Oh, I do, because you know it's in the next question. Was Go ahead, tell me one of these stories. Send it. All right, so so I was out there fishing. I was doing my thing, and uh, there was another fella down the beach. He's maybe 100, 150, 200 yards down the beach, and uh, I'm not really watching him, but every now and then this line would get hung up in my lines, and it was a tiny little three-quarter ounce egg sinker with a little hook, you know, a mono tied to the sinker, and it kept getting hung up in my lines. So I was just biting the biting it off and letting the line go so i didn't know where it was coming from and you know i'm not gonna be pulling pulling all this stuff in so i let it go and meanwhile i'm catching fish so the guy walks over and he's talking to me and i've told him everything and i gave him some leaders that i was using you know i said here use these and use this bait because i had plenty of mullet and he goes back i'm I'm, now i'm watching him to see if he's gonna actually you know do everything right so he goes out and he casts and he takes the rod and he now he stands it in knee deep water and he puts it down in the water with submerges the reel underwater. And he's just standing there out on the hump in knee deep water holding on to that rod. Well, it turns out that was his line getting hung up in my lines. And since I was biting it off, he didn't have enough line to cast far enough out. So <laughs> he only went halfway and cast and then he was holding it underwater. So I was like, oh no, I, now I feel guilty because. I figured that's why he didn't have enough line on his reel. So I walk over there real quick and I told him, I said, Hey, just so you know, every time you put that reel down in the water like that, it's going to kill the reel. You're going to get sand and grit and salt water in there. And that reel's dead. It's going to get hard and it's going to freeze up and you're not going to be able to use it. And he goes, Oh, that's what happened to the other one. <laughs> He's got <laughs> another brand new rod and reel. He had went to Academy, bought two brand new rod and reels and he had just ruined both of them. 
So yes, you benefit from hiring a guide. If you don't have any fishing experience, hire a guide. He'll tell you these things. He'll tell you, please don't put my gear underwater. You, you know, you'll burn it. And then you'll know for next time when you go out on your own, not to submerge your reels in salt water. Don't use a three quarter ounce egg sinker in the surf. In the surf and, and 20 pound mono. Yes, you can land in big reds on 20 pound, but you better hope they don't rub up on anything or else you're going to oh. lose them. Oh, man. <laughs> Every experienced angler, when they heard, I, I know it, they heard egg sinks, they're like, no way. Yes, like, yeah. yes. Carolina rig is one thing, but you can't Carolina rig with that light of gear in the surf. We have current. Yep. We do. Yep. We have this thing called tide. <laughs> Poor guy. Good on well, you for being and a I good see human. It a lot. I really do. I see it a lot. You know, people come out there and a lot yeah. of tourists are on that beach. And uh, like I said, they want to fish. So they go spend $150, $200 on gear and they come out there and then they get upset because they don't catch nothing or all they catch is a little trash, hardhead. When if they were just paid another 100 bucks, you could have used my gear, my experience, you know, and I would have made sure they caught something. So, so far I've been successful at that. Oh, that was a good one, Benoit. That was a really good one. <laughs> like I'm almost messed up for the rest of my show now. <laughs> uh, okay, we got to power through. I got to get you to the social right, media. Let's do it. Um, you actually nailed the other parts there with what you should expect from a client, you know, what the I should expect from a guide if I'm going to call him. So thank, thanks for covering that one. Um, you talked a little bit about this, but I think there's a couple more pieces to it. What advice or recommendations do you provide to clients to prepare for surf fishing charter, both in terms of gear? You nailed that a lot with the bug spray, water, clothing, all that when we were talking the, so that piece. But uh, let's talk about mindset. What else do you tell them? Like, hey, this is what's coming up. Yeah, this is not uh, get on the boat and do the grind style fishing with cast and reel and cast and reel and cast and reel. Come and have fun. Bring your dog, bring your kids, bring some toys for them, bring your cooler of the uh, adult beverages of your choice if you want to do that. That's fine. Bring your RV if you want. Bring your whole family. My rates cover two people and as many kids as you want, but you could add additional adults if you want them to catch fish, and it's like $75 for an additional adult. But come with the mindset that you would normally come to the beach with. You're going to have fun on the beach. Bring your lawn chairs and your towels. Uh, go play in the surf. Just do it on this side of the setup or on this side of the setup. Don't do it in the middle where we're fishing. But, yeah, bring your shovels and your sandcastle equipment, your metal detectors, and just come enjoy a day on the beach. And then when you hear me holler fish on, come running, and I'll be holding on to the rod to hand it to you. And you get to fight them in. You get to take the pictures, and I'll make sure it gets tagged and released. We'll get the right measurements if you want to do a, a like you were talking about, a, a some, some sort of art or have a, a replica made. You know, we'll take care of all that. But, yeah, that's the mindset. Don't come with a – because I think a lot of people, and, and me too when I started, when you say surf fishing, you think of like on the Northeast with the waders, you know, wading out there to the surf and casting out a lure and really getting in and casting out and reeling it in. No, it's not that kind of fishing. You don't even have to touch a rod and reel if you don't want to until it's time to reel in a fish. It's a nice advantage of that. That's like, look, I got this. You just enjoy it. Wait, just I'll give you the drug. If the tug's going to happen, you take care of the rest. I got the other exactly. stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and if... It, and since there's no boat involved, if you're elderly or if you're handicapped, if you're in a wheelchair, the good thing about Rutherford Beach is the sand's really packed. And I have a flatbed trailer and a tent. So we'll stop at the entrance. 
We'll load you up on the trailer, make sure you're secure. We'll get you out on the beach, set the rod holders right up in front of the trailer, put a tent over you so you're in the shade. Everyone is welcome to come and fish, whether you're an experienced angler, but you know, you just don't want to drive out in the sand or you're handicapped and you, you definitely don't want to take a wheelchair out in the sand. We'll figure it out. We'll get you out there. So it's open to all. God, I love that. Well done. Way, way to get everybody included, man. That's one thing about the beach. Everyone can get out there. Uh, let's see here. You, well, you already nailed the advice piece, so I guess I can finish it with this one, and we'll go on from there. How do listeners find out more information about your surf fishing charters, get in touch with you, and book memorable experiences? Well, you can go to the website, dragontails.com, and, uh, or just message me on Facebook. Tell me what dates you have in mind, and uh, I'll let you know if those are prime dates or we'll make adjustments. And uh, let me know if you're going to book a trip. Let me know if you're flying in, if you're driving in. I'll make hotel re uh, recommendations for you. It's not like there's a whole lot of choices. In fact, there's only one if you want to stay down near the beach. But there's plenty in Lake Charles. Uh, stay at the casinos. I'll pick you up at the airport, and, and we'll go to the beach from there, however you want to do it. We're very uh, fluid in the travel arrangements. And as far as finding me on social media, yeah, Facebook, look up, just look up Dragon Tales, YouTube at Dragon Tales. I'm on, uh, oh, what's the uh, spy app? Oh, yeah, that's, TikTok. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> your, your TikToks <laughs> have been fun. I've been enjoying your TikToks. <laughs> yeah, well, when we get into the social media side of that, I think I may surprise you with some stuff. All right perfect well there you go everybody so there's the links they will be back on the finding demo uh finding demo.com finding demo surf fishing all that stuff it'll be all over this and all the stuff for this one you'll be able to click the links and get right to it very simple very easy to get to and now we've been going for 60 so let's get the last bait check of the episode and we'll get the last sections knocked out here and get you on your way because this is this is fun This bait check is being brought to you by Kids Can Fish. Head on over to the website, kidscanfish.net, and take a look at all the great things that they're doing. Here you can see through the website, they've got all the information right here. They are a state and federally recognized 501c3 charitable foundation. All the camps and clinics all get funded back into the organization to help these kids go out and go fish. If you also want information on the running of the Bulls tournament, it'll be updated right here up on top. And if you want to learn more about the entire team, you can take a look at the pro staff links. And learn all about Caroline, their partners, how to get in touch with them, and the photo gallery is always great. If you'd like to help them further, you can do one more. You can go over to Promar Ahi and take a look at that website, and you can buy into the CastNet. This is the specialized one. This is the one that you hear a lot about. Caroline has talked a lot about it, and a per a portion of the proceeds go back into Kids Can Fish. They have the three foot, the four foot, and the five foot. All these things are great, and it all again, it all goes back into the Kids Can Fish Foundation to help these kids continue to do great things with these camps. Keep your ears open because there's going to be a lot more things coming from them. It's always great and always great to be a part of it. So backing up a smidge here, I finally found it. Um, the process for the pressing of the fish in art was Giotaku, G-Y-O-T-A-K-U. Um, apparently, it's a pretty big art and uh, a rice paper and some other stuff. But uh, yeah, so if any of you were wondering, there you go. You can go back and take a look at that on the old social internet webs. That'll get you there. All right, so let's move into the social media piece. Can you share how you got started as a digital content creator in the field of surf fishing? Pure necessity. 
I, I honestly, uh, I'm going to light up your comments now. I hate social media. I honestly don't like creating it. It takes so much time. And being the perfectionist that I am, it's, it's, it's never seems good enough for me. Like, you know, I'll make a video and then I'll play it and I'll be like, God, oh, that's not good enough. And then I'll remake it. And I'm like, there's no way I'm posting that. And then when I finally get the video right, I'm like, oh, okay, I need to find the right song. And I don't pay extra to use, you know, any special stuff or apps or programs or anything. So now, yeah. But, hey, if you want to uh, have a business of just about anything nowadays, then you have to be involved in social media. And uh, I started out with me watching the guys because I never thought I could do it. I'm not a tech guy at all. But then watching like uh, Surf Hippie surf hippie Fishing and Bearded Brad and Yakin' with Jack and uh, The Longest Cast, all these all these YouTube uh, content creators and TikTok content creators are like, well, they're doing it. I mean, it, it looks simple enough. You know, they're just setting up some cameras and taking some footage and putting it on here. And man, did I find out that it's not quite that simple and and these guys who post videos with like multiple angles with like the chest rig and having a camera over here or a camera over here and man my hat's off to them and then the one like adam J who raps to his own stuff and makes his videos man that is a lot of work and my hat's off to all those guys because i wouldn't be doing any of what i'm doing which i'm just like a peon in the social media side without their uh, encouragement seeing them do it and saying, man, okay, well, if they could do it, I can at least try. And Adam's frigging bringing in giant sharks. And it's like, come on, dude. Is there anything you can't do? Yeah. Right. His, uh, the ocean is my church. Yeah. Oh, I'm a favorite. I'm not a rap person like at all, but when dude starts rapping about fishing, I'm in, I'm all in. Okay. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. That was on my playlist to drive to the beach actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, nice. I actually got to meet him uh, at ICAST a couple of years ago and just a cool human. Absolutely nice gentleman. I felt bad even stopping him. He's like, no, what, like, like, he was willing to have a conversation. I'm like, dude, you are a celebrity here. You've got stuff to do. I would love to talk to you one day. Um, but it was just cool. He was just a, a regular person. And his life story is a hell of a story to get into. And you guys haven't done his back stuff. He's had it rough. Yeah, maybe. If I can ever get him to come down here, Southwest Louisiana, we'll cook him some homemade gumbo. And he can catch some bull reds and wrap to these, pulling in these monster reds on the beach. I haven't seen a redfish wrap yet, Adam. I need you out here. <laughs> there you go. There, you, there's your. I know he travels through there because I know he comes to the Panhandle yeah. for shark fishing. So I know he passes you. Yeah, he stops at that uh, hooked on tackle in Freeport, Texas. Here's another plug, guys. Best veteran or best bait shop I've ever been to. But the fact that he's veteran owned and I, he has really built that bait shop up. So it's not just a little hole in the wall bait shop. I mean, he's really got a great thing going on there. So um, until I, I now I make my own leaders, but I bought all my fish finder leaders through him, through his shop. Cause they make them there. So yeah, great bait shop hooked on tackle. I didn't know he was a fellow veteran. That's cool. He is. Mm -hmm. All right. Now I'm going to have to call him. Yeah, get like, him to right, do a podcast with you. It, he, yeah. They built some pretty sick rods there, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll have to find out. Um, so, uh, dude, I totally understand what you're talking about with the multiple cameras. That's why I'm a podcaster and not a YouTuber. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how they do. Like, I go out with Justin all the time, and I watch him do it. And I'm just like, you, you're a beast. I don't know how you, how you love it. 
um, so much, but he does. So, and I know Jack loves it. I've talked to him every couple weeks or so, and I get lucky to be like, all right, let's go, let's go fish. But yeah, to, to be able to do that full time and content create, it's it takes a one there, um, which actually rolls into this kind of nicely. What role does digital media play in your approach to surf fishing and how does it enhance your experience and connect with the sport? Oh, well, one, seeing what other people are doing. And like I said, uh, social media makes research, I mean, uh, so much easier. Before social media, you had to find it in a book. You had to read it for yourself, and hopefully there were some pictures to help you out. Now you actually watch people do it, even live. I mean, you can watch people fishing live nowadays, and and they'll show you step by step the rig they're using, the rod, the reel, the line, the hook, the weight, you know, the bait, how they're throwing it out there, and you can yell at the screen when you see their rod going over. So, yeah, social media has changed the game. I think it's uh, when I was a teen, when I first, my very first few attempts at uh, surf fishing was as a teenager, and we didn't have social media back then. There was no, there was no Facebook, so I didn't have a clue what, what I was doing. I went down there, I caught hardhead catfish, and thought this is terrible. It's hot. And there's mosquitoes, and who wants to catch these slimy, nasty hardfish? You can, uh, catfish you can't eat, and that was the end of my surf fishing days, or so I thought. And now fast forward to where we are now. When you you could research and know everything there is, you could everything you could find out. It's right there. It's on the internet. So it's right there on social media for you to find out. Yeah. Yeah, it's very nice for that. How do you tailor your content to resonate with both experienced anglers and those new to surf fishing? I hadn't got that far. <laughs> I just uh, I just make it, and uh, I hope that uh, both young and old can benefit. I, I really don't tailor it for any certain uh, age group. I'm still I'm so focused on trying to make it th- th- at least get you know ten views on YouTube, and I'm happy. But I see these people who get like. 100k views on a nine second video and i'm like how oh, how oh, okay what do i need to do to, to make that happen but uh yep i find that uh if i take ladies fishing they seem to get a whole lot more likes on their videos i don't know what it is i guess it's my ugly mug <laughs> my wife i'll take a picture of her fighting a fish and uh you know nothing indecent or even close to indecent and she'll get a thousand likes on that on that picture and then i'll post this this detailed video with all the information, like you said, the road to a hundred, you know, that video is probably one of the longest I've ever posted. And it gets like, I don't know, 10 views. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I fish with uh, real coastal fishing. They're here in Navarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're right, right up the street from me. And it's something Julia said, you know, she's like, you know, I, in the summer I could be wearing a bikini and next thing you know, we're getting a hundred thousand views in winter. I'm wearing winter clothing because it's frigging cold cool. and people are like hey why aren't you wearing a bikini and it's like the views go way down she's like this is stupid this is just ridiculous and it's yeah if there's something about that that just seems to bring up the algorithm to say hey click here yeah, uh, sorry folks i'm not wearing a bikini you're just out of luck oh, i'm gonna do it i am totally gonna, gonna do, do it, it. Oh, oh yes i am. said it on air y'all. i am a hold, I, hold it to him I am a horrible stirrer. Like I am a mocker. I really am. If you know, uh, I hate to say it like this, but in reality, if you're going to act a certain way, I'm going to mock you for it. Um, if you want to be a troll, that's fine. I've had a couple of trolls. I'm probably going to just laugh at you and say, oh, you know, go ask mom for the meatloaf and have a good day. But it's just <laughs> some of that stuff. If you can make somebody laugh or bring some comedy to some people, that's a win. As long as you're not like, degrading people yeah that that's the the line but it's the 
you know, you don't got to be a dick. I hate to say it like that, but that's the most blunt way to put it. You can have some fun with it. I'd wear a bikini just to be like, what? What are you going to do yeah, now? You know, everybody like, hey, fatty, take that off. I'm like, yeah, you like that? You know, but it's still, it's, it's. Yeah, it'll be fun. like one of those dads wearing the uh, short shorts around his daughter oh, just to embarrass her. Yeah. Mine's been warned. <laughs> <laughs> My kids got lucky. They're all out of the house. They don't have to worry about me embarrassing them anymore. Well done. Uh, all right. Has running a channel made you a better angler? Uh, watching other people's channels has definitely made me a better angler. <laughs> so I guess that ties together. Um, yeah, because who wants to make a video of you not catching fish? So I wonder how many fishermen out there spend their day videoing their trip only to hit the delete button at the end of the day. And you mm. never see anybody post a two minute long video of nothing being caught and going, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> Enjoy the video folks. <laughs> <laughs> Should do one just to see how. Uh, never mind. I can't say anything about that because there's something coming with that. Um, right. What is the future plan for your channel? Uh, for the channel, make more content, get more views, and uh, hopefully that leads to more trips and more smiling, more smiling uh, families on the beach. Nice. Okay. Uh, what advice do you have for an aspiring digital creator who want to blend their passion for the game and be make come on out and start doing this? If I can do it, y'all, you can do it. There, believe me, I'm I'm Gen Xer. Grew up without the technology. Now I'm trying to catch up to the technology, and uh, I got you know these young kids out there, ten year olds with iPhones who know how to operate it better than me. If I could post a TikTok using a, some pre made, uh, what are those things called that you can just drop your photos in? <laughs> oh, the reels template. and all the yeah, template. the templates. Yeah, you yeah. get a pre made template. If I can do it, you can do it. So just do it. You'd be surprised at uh, what people will view and, and like nowadays. Yeah, true, true. Uh, last two questions in this one. Uh, what has been the biggest lesson learned after running this channel, after running your channel and doing social media? Uh, the strangest things get likes. People will watch some of the strangest things. Uh, I can post me catching fish after fish and it not get a whole lot of attention. But then I post a picture of the moon coming up, which, you know, I had second thoughts on posting it just because I figured it wouldn't get any likes. And I posted anyway, and it gets hundreds and hundreds of, of likes and views, which leads to people coming to my website and people coming to my page. So don't think too hard about it. Don't overthink it. You know, don't be uh, indecent, but share. Everything is content. That would be the one thing that I'm, I'm still learning. Everything is content. It is. And that's funny you bring that up. You're not the first one to say that to me. And it's amazing what the words tourism on a hashtag can really do for certain things. Are you serious? Uh, I've never thought of that. I've yeah. never heard that before. Tourism. I'm going to have to use that one on that's a hashtag. We'll start talking on the Grafter show. We got a lot of more <laughs> fun stuff to talk about. All right. Last three questions for this and I'll get you out of here. Uh, so advice for the beginners starting to want to play out. Uh, for some who just wants to start surf fishing for their very first time, what's one piece of advice you'd give them to set them on the right path? Uh, that would probably be the, the thing that I learned right off the bat. The fish are closer than you think. You, like you said, like you said earlier, the first 50 yards is probably the most important 50 yards on the, in the water. You don't have to cast a mile. You don't need to go buy a 15 foot rod and a reel that holds 500 yards. And, you know, just so you could cast it an extra 20 yards when the fish are likely right in front of you. 20, 30 yards. I've literally walked out there and I have a, a video, you may have seen it with me using a little uh, dock fishing rod 
almost like the, a the dock demon. Yeah, it, it, it's a little uh, ugly stick. It's yeah. a 37 inch long rod, and I put 40 pound line on it and like did one of these little underhanded casts with because that's about all you could do with it and threw it out about 20 yards off the beach and caught a 35, 37 inch redfish. So just to prove that they're closer than you think. Man, so many people do that. I mean, I'm guilty of it from my beginning. I was like, yeah, like launching that thing. It didn't need to. So right. didn't need to. <laughs> uh, I lied. There's only one more question. Uh, final question of the episode, and that is, what's next for you? Uh, like as, as far as a business or a media content? Both. Okay, so media. Uh, right now, the weather's been terrible, so I haven't been able to get out there and get any new content, so... I'm trying to book myself a trip <laughs> so I can get out there and make y'all some content. Uh, as far as a business goes, what's next uh, with the business? Uh, I've got three things. I'm working on a prototype lure that fishes like bait. That you could, a lure that you can use as bait on a bait fishing setup. And if you don't have to work it in, throw it out, cast it in, you throw it out, you let it set just like you had a hunk of bait on the hook. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Y'all stay tuned. I've actually got the mold uh, made coming down from Canada, and uh, I'll be doing my first pour on it in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, I'm not going to give y'all any more details. It's patent pending. Uh, there next, you go. Yes. Next, next thing I would like to do, and if I, if I could get enough clientele, get enough uh, customers coming, I would like to build a, a beach fishing tiki hut trailer. A handicap accessible tiki hut trailer that I could take out on the beach and I could pull it up right on the, the edge of the surf, not like down there where people get stuck because they park too close. You know, I know where I could read where the tide stops and stuff, but drive that sucker out on the beach and my clients would be able to get under it in the shade and have fans and have a TV, have a bar, have a fridge, it'll have that little outhouse on it, have a fold down porch with the rod holders built right on the front of it. So no more driving pipes down into the sand. So I would love to have that built out, have running water on it, solar powered speakers on it, LED lights, the thatch roof, and then sell it as like your Tiki Hut surf fishing experience. Like when you when you pay for the guy to trip, the trailer comes with it. So that would be last and or that'd be the second thing. And then uh, just to build the business. And uh, the hardest part about building any business is, is the time. You, you have to constant, it's a constant grind. You have to constantly go out there. You have to fish. You have to make the media. You have to make sure people see you, whether out there on the beach or on the YouTubes or on the social media. And we do that. And I think we want our business to be successful. And like the first year, we want to have like 100 customers or more than that on the first year. And maybe if you live in an area that has like really beautiful water and white sand beaches and tourists are already coming there for you know multiple reasons, maybe you can do that. And great. If you do, awesome. I'm happy for you. Uh, that's not how it's working out down here in Southwest Louisiana. Most people hear the word Louisiana and they think swamp. And I'm trying to change that view. Like, hey, we do have a few beaches down here and they may not be pristine white sand like over in Florida and the water may look like chocolate milk. But you can still have a good time. And if you're a fisherman, we have some nice trophy redfish down here. And we have the numbers. So come down here and get your uh, line stretched. Dude, way to go, Benoit. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It has been an absolute pleasure 
and you've dropped so much knowledge and it's just been it's great man i look forward to talking to you more in the future i really do this has been so much fun thank you yeah we'll have to do it again i look forward to it yeah that's easy all right man we'll talk soon all right take care man all right ladies and gentlemen um yeah that was fun that was a lot of fun i hope you guys enjoyed it because i sure did i mean as you can see i'm still smiling man that was a lot of good that was a good time um yeah, now I have to go to Southwest Louisiana, which I'm not sad about. Not even a little. It's it's perfect. So you've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. You can find all the information on Benoit's uh, company, Dragon Tails, as D-R-A-G apostrophe N, Tails, T-A-I-L, apostrophe Z, Surf Fishing, Southwest Louisiana. You do like, look them up. You'll find them on all social media outlets. You're going to find them. Great one to follow, especially on the Tiki Talks. It's been a lot of fun following that one. Um, and it's going to be great things. It's all back on the website or wherever you found this podcast. It'll all be there hyperlinked. Again, you listen to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. I'm out of here. <laughs>